So here at Generations, we've been in a series, uh, well, we just started last, last week, kind of starting our New Year series. We're looking at the seven churches of Revelation and this letter that Jesus wrote to them. You know, every year, uh, we, at the beginning of the year, at the end of the year, during the year, we're always asking Jesus, what are you up to? Whatever Jesus is up to, that's what we want to be involved in, right? We don't want to be doing our own thing. There's a lot of good ideas, but we want God ideas. We want to know what God is doing, and we want to be in on that. And so we're asking him, you know, we're always asking him, Lord, what do you have for our church as a community of faith? You know, here, where, where are you taking us? Where do you want to, in 2018, where do you want to, what do you want to stress in our lives, you know, and, and help to just break us free in areas? And this year, we really felt moved to uh, not just come and do a series where we talk about us, but let's look. He led us to these seven letters to these seven churches. Let's look at what he's been speaking to the church for 2,000 years, and specifically these congregations. Um, and what's really great is we read these words to these seven congregations. We find ourselves in these words, uh, both in the good deeds that he commends them for. We like those parts. Yeah, that's like us. We want to say, that's like, we do that. <laughs> uh, and in the faults that he rebukes them for. That's not as fun to identify with, but we identify with those too, and we realize, oh, he's speaking to us. So over these six weeks, we're, we're unpacking this. We're going to be unpacking the mission, ultimately, that God has for Generations Church um, 2,000 years later through his words to these churches. So I'm excited about it. Uh, let's get started this morning with our second church that Jesus writes to. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over to the book of Revelation. We're in chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Last week, we explored his letter to the church in Ephesus. Well, about 40 miles north of Ephesus, we come to the ancient seaport city of Smyrna. Smyrna. Now, all these churches happen to be located in modern-day Turkey today. Now, Smyrna is it's going to be an interesting one. It was world-renowned for its beauty. And it was not only a beautiful city, it was extremely patriotic to Rome. This wasn't a city full of, you know, rebels. This was, this is where the empire lived. Smyrna was, was the happy, they were patriotic to Rome. Just like Ephesus, we saw last week, uh, the city was a center for emperor worship. Uh, they called it the imperial cult. And uh, the citizens of Smyrna were fanatical to the extreme. In A.D. 26, just a few years uh, before Jesus was crucified, Rome awarded the city of Smyrna for their loyalty by choosing it above all the other candidates, including Ephesus, which we looked at last week. It rewarded it as the site to build a new temple dedicated to the emperor Tiberius. Because of this, the sort of fanatical patriotism, uh, as well as there was a, a pretty sizable and influential anti-Christian uh, population, a Jewish population there, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes, life for the believers in Smyrna was anything but easy. Many of them were unemployed. Uh, they were unwelcome in their own city. They were under extreme persecution. But in the midst of all this discouragement and, and difficulties, this church receives a letter in the mail. They get a letter, not just from some kind-hearted Christian saying, hey, it's going to be okay. They get a letter from Jesus Christ himself. How cool would that be? If I said, hey, guys, look what came in the mail. Jesus wrote Generations Church a letter. And we read that. I mean, yeah, that would just bless you, wouldn't it? So 
Jesus writes this letter. He's aware of the, the pressure that these Christians live under, and he expresses his just immeasurable love to these, these beautiful people. He encourages them. He strengthens them. Um, this is really a special letter we're going to look at today because uh, this is one of only two of all the letters we're going to see where Jesus has nothing but good to say about them. There's no rebuke to the church of, of Smyrna uh, because they're faithful. And, and because they're faithful, even unto death, here's the cool part, their lampstand has never been removed, as Jesus threatened could happen, as he threatened last week to Ephesus. He threatens that. Today, in Turkey, which is a Muslim country, Christianity has never left this city. It's never left the city. Now, today, uh, as of like 1920-something, the name of the city changed. It's known as Izmir today. It's the same city as Smyrna, and there's still churches. There's still many churches in this city uh, that have been there. And in fact, it's one of, one of the only cities that I can think of uh, that is still in a flourishing condition. It's not just you go look at the ruins. It's actually a, this bustling modern city, the seaport. But the citizens of Smyrna, when, they, when the church was, was birthed there, the citizens were very hostile towards the Christians. And they came, it came from two different directions. On one side, the church faced the hatred and the persecution um, from the local Jewish population, which we're going to talk about. But they were only part of the problem. By the time the letter is written, you know, the megalomaniac emperor Nero Caesar, he had already risen to power. Nero was in power, and uh, because Christians refused to worship Nero as, as Almighty God and Savior, which is what he required of his people, in AD 64, Nero uh, instigated three and a half years of intense persecution of the church. And that period of time claimed the lives of thousands of Christians, thousands of Christians, including the lives of every single one of the apostles, with the exception of John. And so, not surprisingly, the persecution in Smyrna against the Christians, it also resulted in their great poverty. They were very poor, despite the fact that Smyrna is a very wealthy city. You know, it's a very beautiful, it was like, it was considered in the region, it was considered first in culture, first in beauty, first in the arts, this kind of thing. If you've ever seen Hunger Games, anybody seen Hunger Games? Smyrna is the capital, right? Everybody's wearing crazy wigs and loves the president right? That's Smyrna. Uh, if you haven't seen Hunger Games, that won't mean anything to you, sorry. Um, so Christians are under extreme economic pressure here. They, they often had their possessions uh, confiscated, properties confiscated. They were forbidden to buy and sell and, and trade in the marketplace. So this was the, kind of the state. So you kind of get your mind wrapped around this. Here comes the letter, Sunday morning. Oh, praise the Lord. Here comes a letter from Jesus written, by, uh, written with the hand of John. And so let's look at it. In Revelation 2, 18, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 8. This is where the letter to Smyrna starts. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, right. Now, by the way, Jesus does something really interesting here, and he does it to each of the churches. It's really cool. He uh, tailors the introduction to each church in a very specific way. There's, there's meaning to each introduction. He, he introduces himself in a different way, slightly, and it's kind of cool. So here's what he says. Those, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. Okay, Jesus describes himself here as he, him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. Now, there's millions of ways to introduce Jesus, 
the Lamb of God, you know, the, the Son of God, or the one who died for us. But Jesus chooses this way for a very specific reason. Uh, there's something about Smyrna and its history that he's tapping into here, and the church is going to resonate with it. So Smyrna is one of these cities, like Ephesus, like I told you, uh, it competed with Ephesus for who was the best in Rome. They wanted to gain the emperor's favor, and they competed. The whole city would just really come together. We're, you know, we love you the most. We love you the most. Intellectually, politically, economically, they wanted to be the best in Rome. Uh, Smyrna is an old city. It was founded in 1200 BC. That's 200 years before King David came to power. That's like during the time of the judges. And so Smyrna is an old city, but something happened around 600 BC, and uh, the city was invaded by a group called the Lydians, and they destroyed it. It was just totally laid waste. Nothing was left. And for 400 years, it was basically a ghost town. For 400 years, it's just ruins. And then uh, about, about 200 BC, um, something happens, the, the, the city starts to get back on its feet, and Alexander the Great comes through, but you don't care about any of that, but anyway, he, come, he comes, and he kind of decides, I want to set up the city again, and uh, makes the city, and it starts to, to gain life again, it, and it starts thriving again, because it's in a beautiful area, and so and Smyrna was very proud of this fact, that it got back on its feet, it came back to life after 400 years of being a ghost town. And so Smyrna ended up with the nickname, the city that was dead yet was alive again. The city that was dead yet was alive again. And so that's this, one of the nicknames of Smyrna. And so John records the words of Jesus with the one who died and came to life again. He's subtly pointing to Smyrna. And, and you know he's pointing to history and he's saying, guys, guys, listen to Jesus. This is the one who he knows what it's like to be you guys, to be dead and come back to life. Uh, just little interesting things. Verse 9, he says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, and are a synagogue of Satan. Let's take this first part first, uh, where he says afflictions. This word afflictions is a Greek word, thlipson. Flipson sounds like I'm lifting, uh, but it means internal pain or pressure. It appears several times in the New Testament. It's an interesting word. It, it can mean persecution. It's often used if, if you're talking about persecution from the outside, but the best translation is an internal pain, an internal pressure. It's the turmoil and the stress that you feel when you're battling circumstances, when you're battling some sort of inner pain or pressure. So we'll keep that in mind because that's going to come back. It's going to be relevant later. And then Jesus calls this church rich. Now, Smyrna was rich. Smyrna is wealthy. But to the church, he refers to their poverty. And the word that he uses here is so interesting because it doesn't just mean the word for being a little down on your luck or being a little bit poor, you know, can't make ends meet. It is the word for utter poverty, total destitution, like begging on the street. That's the word he uses for these guys. But he says, you're rich. You're, you, you have abundance. He says, you feel destitute on the inside, but you're actually full of abundance. Now, how is this? This is because the, the church in Smyrna, they, they had a kind of a wealth that you can't buy, you can't earn. 
right? And all the political connections and power and good jobs in the world can't buy you this kind of joy, this kind of peace. It's like the series we looked at last, last month. You know, that joy, that peace, that love, you can't buy that. And it doesn't depend on the circumstances around you. And Smyrna was rich in this, the, the church of Smyrna. They had eternal life. They were citizens of the kingdom of God. Now, Let's look at this next comment here. He says, I know about the slander. He's talking, he talks about slander here. And he says something about Jews. I know about slander of those who say they're Jews but are not, but are synagogue of Satan. It's an interesting comment. At first to our ears, it could sound, is, is he kind of like making an anti-Jewish statement? What is he doing here? The Jewish community in Smyrna, as I said, was, it, was, it was growing. Um, after Rome, uh, uh, the Roman Empire came and, and put down the revolt in Jerusalem, a lot of the Jews moved to this region, and Smyrna was a, had a huge community. They became very influential. Now, keep something else in mind. In this time, they didn't, most, a lot of people didn't necessarily see Christians as a separate religion from Judaism. They didn't think of them as two different religions yet. They, were, they saw Christians, a lot of people saw Christians as kind of like a separate denomination of Jews. They were simply Jews who had accepted that the Jewish Messiah had come, right? The long-awaited Messiah had come in the person of Jesus Christ. And so one of the accusations Christians often faced in those early years, it wasn't that they had gone, they're, they're being good Christians, it's that they were being bad Jews. So they would get this accusation along the time from their Jewish brothers and sisters. It was, you're being bad Jews. Um, and so there's this kind of slander going on between groups, each of which think of themselves as the more perfect Jew, right? Because that's what Christians thought too. We're just the perfect, we're the perfect Jew, right? We believe that the Messiah has come. And it would be today as if like two different groups of Christians uh, just slandered each other, which of course never ever happens, right? So we can't, we can't relate to that at all. Um, so we have religious people slandering other religious people for not being religious correctly. Big surprise. Um, Now, what Jesus is actually saying here is interesting. He says, these folks that say they are Jewish, uh, they say they're Jewish, but God's people are better than that. What they're saying about you, they they shouldn't even be calling themselves Jewish. They're not real Jews. They may be Jewish in ancestry, but not in spirit. And so this is why Jesus says, I understand the pressure that you're under. That word flips in again. I understand the pressure that you're under. The church of Smyrna had all these, these pressures. It was hard to get a job if, if you were a Christian in Smyrna. Like I said, merchants wouldn't sell to you. Uh, you, you were in danger at any time of being arrested as an enemy of the state. Um, so now this next, this next sentence, uh, verse is, is a fascinating passage. We're going to dig into this one a good bit here. Verse 10, he says, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you'll suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death. Now, at this point, if we were, if this was the letter Jesus wrote to Generations Church, we'd be thinking, wow, thanks. (laughs) Great, great. Couldn't you have just pointed out some faults that we could do better so we could, like, you know, live a great life? (laughs) Uh, Persecution under death. Thanks for the pep talk coach. Um, for, for some of us, 
real, genuine persecution. Real persecution. That comes from from being faithful to Christ. Not from being a jerk for Christ, but being faithful to Christ. That kind of persecution. That is, it's, let's be honest, it's, it can be hard for us to relate to. Right? We're very blessed in the place that we live. It's hard for us to relate to that. But there's another layer of meaning here in these words that is going to be super relevant for us. There's a couple of key words I want to point out. He says, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The Greek word here is passion. It, it's, it's where we get the, the passion play. Um, passion. And it's, uh, it refers to emotional sorrow. Emotional sorrow. So, and kind of like that word philipson that we looked at, the word for afflictions, it, this refers to suffering that we feel internally. This word suffering, this passion, it's emotional trauma. Emotional trauma that can be the result of outside forces. It might be the result of outside persecution or, or it might be the result of sickness or whatever it is, but this emotional trauma. And then he says you will suffer persecution now, the word there is the exact same word that he used earlier for afflictions. It's flipson. So he's just, the translators picked a new word, persecution. It's flipson, which comes from that word for pressure. Comp- the, the idea, the root of that word is compression, things that are under, under pressure like that. It's what you feel when you feel there's no way of escape. You feel hemmed in. Anybody ever feel like that? Circumstances or whatever's going on in your life, you feel like there is no way of escape. I can't escape this loop. So this is very interesting. What Jesus is warning them or telling them here, if it's just, hey, you're going to be persecuted on the outside or, you know, you're going to be hurt or tortured or something like that, that isn't anything they don't already know. What he's warning them about isn't just external persecution. He's saying, be ready for the emotional trauma the internal turmoil that you're going to go through. Be ready for this. Because the truth is, they were already suffering outward persecution. They knew what it meant to suffer physical hardship. And he's praising them for this. He's praising them that they endure this. What he wanted to prepare them for was the emotional trauma that results from that. Let me ask you, how, how many of you have felt the trauma of a friend who betrayed you. The trauma, that the emotional suffering of someone who stood by your side, they were right there, and then times got tough, and they turn and betray you. How many of you know that can be every bit as devastating as a physical injury? Right? Let's keep looking. He says it's going to last for 10 days. That's an interesting phrase. And, and a lot of scholars have argued about that phrase right there. 10 days, what's going on there? In the book of Revelation, because, and especially because it's in the book of Revelation, we automatically uh, can kind of assume there's, there's some symbolism going on here. It's Revelation numbers are highly symbolic. They, they very rarely mean exactly, literally what they mean. You, you see uh, a lot of times 
uh, scholars who are smarter, smarter than me, uh, you know, point out like the number three stands for things about God, or the number four has to do with things about creation, or seven is the number of completion. Anybody heard, heard this? Uh, so it's really interesting stuff. Um, Twelve is like the number of structures or governments or covenants. Lots of scholarly debate on this, and some of it's really good, and some of it's just people seeing what they want to see. But anyway, what, is, what does 10 signify here? What is this 10, 10 days? That's, a, that's kind of a randomly selected number. Well, for some people, ironically, some of the, you know, I'm studying this out, and some of the scholars uh, see this as, a, as meaning a short time, that it's a short time. You're only going to be enduring this for 10 days. And other ones say, no, it means a long time. So that was really helpful. So it either means a short time or a long time. It, I guess it depends on your, you know, what you're doing for 10 days. If you're talking about, well, I've been married for 10 days, that's a short time, right? If you're like, I had a 10-day root canal, that's a long time. <laughs> so, so what's going on for 10 days? Uh, what's generally agreed here is that the significance is that Jesus reassures them of this. This period of suffering comes to an end. There's an end. This isn't indefinite. This is not forever. I think that's a message he would send to a lot of us today. This is a season. Some of you are going through a season. You're going through your 10 days, and it feels like a root canal. It has an end. The next word I want to look at, he says, be faithful even to the point of death. Now, that right there, even to the point of death, when we read that, the way it's translated, that's kind of scary. Right? Doesn't it make you think, oh, this is not going to end well at the end of that 10 days? <laughs> Great. The Greek word for even to the point of, it just means until. It's just the word until. Unto death. Be faithful. In other words, keep being faithful until death. In other words, be faithful for the rest of your life until you die. Be faithful. Be faithful. Whether it's for 10 more days or 60 more years, be faithful. Stay faithful. And then Jesus gives the reward. He always gives the reward. And he says, and if you're faithful, I will give you life as your victor's crown. Your victor's crown. There was two different words they used back then for a crown type thing. One was the this Greek word diadema. You know, you've heard the, the old worship song, bringing forth the royal diadem. If you were like me, you had no idea what you were singing most of your childhood. It was a crown. It was like a royal crown, like what, you, what the kings wore. Well, here's something a little different. This word he uses, it's the victor's crown. It's the garland that they would wear in the Olympics for the, for the one who won something. Here again, these words are chosen very specifically and very personal. This is a very personal letter. Smyrna was known as the crown city. This was the crown city because they had these beautiful stately buildings along the hillsides that went all the way around it. It was known as the crown city. And from a distance, it looked like a crown. So Jesus is promising a crown of life, an unending, glorious future. That, that had to strike a heart chord with the Smyrna church. And, th- and there's something else he's alluding to here, too. Uh, in the ancient world, I should have put a picture up, but in the ancient world, there, every coin had 
a, a, a picture of the Caesar on one side. And that Caesar, on his head was this kingly crown, the diadema, right? The kingly crown, with little pointy things sticking up. If you flipped it around, on the other side was Caesar with a wreath crown, the coins back then. So it had both. And so uh, on one side, you had the crown with the points, and the other side, the leafy crown. So Caesar was a, a, essentially saying, hey, not only do I rule over all of you by divine right as the king, I also run faster than everybody, You're right? I'm just the winner, right? Um, so this is, this is, you know, Caesar identified with this crown, and Jesus is referencing this crown. He's saying, no, you guys are the ones who wear the victor's crown, that this word, uh, Stephanos, the victor's crown. He tells the church, you're going to win the crown of life, the wreath of a winner. You're going to wear victory as your crown. There's a lot of us who, sitting here today, we, we hear these stories, we hear this story about Smyrna, and, and we might say, well, I've never really lived in a situation where, you know, I might be killed for my faith. Um, so let's let her probably doesn't have anything to do with me. This is, you know, maybe for people in another country or going through different, another time. But we can easily miss the larger message that Jesus wants to speak to us, that he wants to speak to generations, church. We might say, I've never experienced persecution. Well, have you experienced heartbreak? Have you ever experienced heartache? Have you ever experienced pressure? from forces that you cannot control. Yeah. Most of us say, yeah, I can relate to that. Heartache, we've been there. Do we know what it's like to be in sorrow? Yeah, most of us do. So here's my first question for you today. What are you suffering from? What are you suffering from? It seems like a simple question. Most of us, uh, we don't need to be reminded that we're suffering, if we're suffering, it's always there, or we're doing everything we can to avoid it. But what are you suffering from? Here's my second question, is how have you been faithful in the midst of that suffering? How have you been faithful? In what ways have you stayed faithful in the midst of the suffering that you've endured? Look, I, see, here's the thing about suffering, is There's a lot of different ways to react. Sometimes if you're not going through suffering, it's easy to romanticize it, right? If things are good, you can romanticize suffering. It's just something, oh, it just means you're you're pious or something like that. But when you're going through it, you really find out what you're made of, right? Um, There are people, and I see them, and when, when... Things happen in their life. They run toward God. Sometimes suffering has that effect. It makes us run toward God. But there's also, sometimes during suffering, we often fail. Sometimes suffering leads to greater spiritual habits. You know, that's when your prayer life has never been better. Suddenly, we're all like amazing faith prayers, right? Because we're suffering. It can also bring out the worst side of us. We, we don't always maintain the perfect mindset. We don't always walk around in joy when we're suffering. Sometimes we don't maintain a perfectly faithful attitude. We get frustrated. We lash out. We get tempted to give up. But how have you been faithful? 
See, that's a question worth asking. Those things need to be acknowledged. Those things need to be celebrated. Because Jesus sees it all. He sees the ways that you've gotten frustrated, that you've lashed out. Those, those days, you're just faithless. And he's seen the days when you're faithful. He's seen the days. He sees your moments of frustration, your moments of faithfulness. And he loves you. And Jesus promises that you are rich, that you will win the crown of life if you'll remain faithful. That's what he promises us. In verse 11, he finishes this letter to Smyrna with the same phrase he said before. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then he adds something unique to just to them. He says, the one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. He reminds us it's not death that we have any reason to fear. The, the first death. We, there's no reason to fear death as believers. Death is just passing from one place to the next. Right? It's a doorway. And for those who are victorious, the faithful, it is the last death anybody will experience. So let's, let's kind of bring this home to us. Uh, uh, among these seven letters that we're going to be reading, no church gets higher praise than Smyrna. No fault is found with this church. There's no warning to them. Jesus identifies with them. It's like he comes down and sits with them and identifies with them. He comforts them and letting them know. He knows exactly what they're going through. And it's interesting, if in these just few dozen words, he identifies four kinds of suffering. He identifies suffering through pressure, that Philipson, suffering through poverty, suffering through persecution, and suffering through prison. So this church needed this letter. They needed this letter. They needed to hear that in the midst of this suffering, they were going through, that the victory was already theirs. The, the lamb was slain. The victory was theirs. He had already paid the price, and they would get that benefit. They would see victory if they continued to do two things. He basically told them, be fearless, be faithful. Don't be afraid, stay faithful. Fearless, faithful. That's really easy to say, isn't it? Be fearless. Just take that one. Oh my gosh, it's, it's hard not to be afraid sometimes. It's hard. We may not fear persecution and martyrdom, like, like they did in that church. But there's still plenty for us to be afraid of in this world. Some people, it's a fear of rejection that keeps them from sharing your faith. For some people, it's a fear of intimacy that you, you, keeps you from sustaining any kind of healthy relationship. You just have a fear of getting too close. Maybe you have a fear of failure that keeps you from trying anything new, anything risky. Or maybe it's a fear of harm. Right? We live in a world of cancer and Alzheimer's and car crashes and bad economies and crime and natural disasters. And those fears can compound. Come what may, Jesus reminds us, church, God is on your side. He's on your side and he's by your side. 
He is by your side. And he says, be faithful. Now, faithfulness, faithfulness is a measure of how you handle pressure, how you handle flips and how do you handle it? You know, pressure does two things to you. It either, it either makes you crack or it makes you transform. The, the hardest, most beautiful stones on our planet are, are formed 100 miles beneath the surface at 2,000 degrees. Pressure either turns you to dust or it turns you into a diamond. It either makes you crack or makes you transform. The church of Smyrna was a church full of diamonds. If you're here today and you have allowed the pressures of this world, the flipsin of this world to ensnare your thinking and, and, and make you forget how rich you really are, then the message I have for you is the same message we said last week. And that is three things to remember. Remember what Christ has done for you. Remember how rich you really are, that you are his treasured child, that God has created you, that he wants to turn all your pain, all your suffering, all your frustrations, your heartache, he wants to turn that into a testimony that burns so hot and so bright that it ultimately points others towards Jesus. And then he calls us to repent. We remember and we repent. Repent seems like an odd, an, an odd thing to ask someone who's suffering to do. But repenting is not just about you did something wicked. Repenting means reorient your direction. Change your mind. That's what repent means. Change your mind. You've been going this way. You need to turn your head It's, repenting is for when we have veered off track. So that, and, and repenting is how we get to become more and more like Jesus, which is our goal. Repenting. And he calls us to return. To return. Remember, repent, and return. Return to your calling to be a light to the world. See, see church, you were called to be a light to the world. You were not called to just be comfortable. You were not called to just have everything correct. You were called to be a light. And just like Ephesus, they forgot that. They forgot as, as good as things were going, they had lost their love. We are called to be a city on the hill that cannot be hidden, right? He called you to shine, us together, to shine and reveal God's hope to the world. Our reason for living is not to live com comfortably or not to be bothered by the world. That's not what we should be chasing, but to reveal Christ to the world. That city on the hill, that's what we're called to be, to reveal Christ to the world. And when you're willing to move past, at some point you gotta make a decision, don't you? You gotta make a decision and say, I'm, I'm ready to move past my hurt I'm ready to return to my calling to be a light to the world. When you're willing to do that, a miracle happens in your life. A miracle happens. You find out that Jesus has been with you all along. He's been right there. 
and all the confusion turns to clarity, and all the loneliness becomes love, and all the junk that other people have thrown at you just become joy. It becomes joy unimaginable and peace. And other people may have more money than you. They may be more well-connected. Their lives may seem easier. They might be in positions of power more than you are. But when you are able to see past the material things that separate you from other people, what we find is that we are the richest people on earth. Jesus says you are rich. So remember, repent, return to your calling, and you'll win the crown of life. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you. We thank you, Lord, for speaking these words, not only to our Christian brothers and sisters in Smyrna, but these words still ring, and they mean everything to us at generations. Lord, we need these We need to remember. We need to repent and to return to our calling. Father, I thank you that you bring healing in your wings and that we are healed not just so that we can start enjoying life again, but we are healed so that we can be a light to this world, so that we can reflect your love to others. We praise you for that. Thank you for all that you have in store for each family in this church and then all that you have in store for all of us, this church family. I thank you. I can't wait to see what you're gonna do. We wanna be a part of every single thing, Lord God. We don't wanna take a step without you and we don't want you to leave us behind. We're gonna be right there with you, Father God. Whatever you say, we will be brave enough to take that step and go with you this year. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right. If you're here today and you are feeling the pressure, you have been suffering, whatever it is, whether it's something physical, whether it's, it's something in your body, something in your emotions, a relationship that's going, whatever it is, nothing is too small or large for Jesus. Nothing. He loves you so much. Things change when we pray in faith. Amen? Amen. Y'all have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.